That's a dead horse. Some of you probably think that I've been beating this guy for quite some time now. Uh, I want you to know it's going to come to an end soon. Uh, there, there's been a common theme uh, over really the past year and a half as we've been going through this follow me message. And, and I know that a lot of you are, are you're saying, Thomas, okay, okay, we get the point already. You can stop beating this dead horse up here. So I just want to let you know that over, over the next couple of, of weeks, um, we're going to transition out of this um, follow me series. Um, I lost my notes there. Um, so we, we have been focusing on the life of Jesus and the uh, mission of the early church. And in doing so, we've been uh, looking at Jesus and his mission to, to outsiders in the early church as they became comfortable with uh, this, this new idea of reaching people who were outside of the line of the Jews. Um, and so instead of continuing all the way through the rest of the book of Acts, I've decided that we're, in the next two weeks we're going to draw this whole Follow Me series to a close. Because basically, the second half of Acts is all about Paul. Uh, It it basically just follows Paul as he is on mission, doing what God has called him to do. And and so it would be a lot more of the same. I mean, it would be great. I like the the nerdy stuff and talking about all the different locations. But for a lot of you, by the the time we got done with Acts, there would be nothing left of this horse. Um, And so to to do everybody a favor, we're going to wrap wrap it down. So today what I'm going to do is I'm going to summarize Paul's ministry. I'm going to summarize Paul's ministry using his own words, and then next week we're going to do a a summary, a review of the entire Follow Me series, looking at the high points. And so I'm going to beat the horse for two more weeks. But after that, we're going to move on to other things, and I really want to make sure that that the essence of what we've been talking about for the past year and a half really sticks, so that when we move on to the next thing, we don't lose what's been going on. We know that... uh, psychologically, one of the best ways to, to get somebody to remember something is to repeat it. Um, and so I've been repeating a, a certain version of a certain message uh, for quite some time. Um, and I'm repeating it because I want you to get it. I, I want it to stick. I want this to be a, a, become a part of our DNA, be, become a part of how we think and how we make decisions as a church. Uh, so bear with me today and next week, and then we're going to move into Easter, and then we're going to move into some new things. But for the next couple of weeks, I really want to tie everything together that we've been talking about, about what it means to be a follower of a Messiah who came to reach the outsiders and the lost and those who are far from God. And we're going to focus today on Paul's ministry. So uh, a couple of weeks ago, we were introduced to the Apostle Paul. He started out as Saul the Persecutor. Saul the persecutor, he went around and he was destroying the church. He was a Pharisee uh, who was deeply committed to uh, the the Jewish law, and he believed that the the followers of Christ were perverting the law and were were bringing ruin upon uh, the name of God. And so he went around and he was persecuting and destroying the church until he came in contact with Jesus himself on the road to Damascus. At which point he had a great conversion experience. And from that moment on, he went from being a persecutor to a preacher. And from that point on, he gave his entire life, everything about him was devoted towards spreading the good news of Jesus across the Roman Empire. As a matter of fact, uh, here is a map of all of the different, uh, just some of the different churches that he planted. 
All of those little red arrows you see up on there, that's just a smattering of the churches that he either planted or established or was involved in helping to raise up. These were cities that he went to and preached the gospel. Now to put some of this in perspective here, from Jerusalem, which is down here um, near the bottom corner. I've got a little laser pointer here. Um, Jerusalem, which is down here, over here to uh, Corinth. Uh, As the crow flies, that's about the same distance as it is from South Carolina to Missouri. So United States, this is basically the the eastern and central part of the United States. And Paul, he didn't have a car. He didn't have planes. He went most of these places on foot, walking around, and in each one of these cities, proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, if you look at this map, you can imagine that the... uh, the people that he ran into were very different. He came across different cultures and different religions. And, and although the, uh, the, the Greeks had sort of brought a common culture and the Romans had um, continued that common culture, there was still a lot of varied different groups of people among this uh, group of people. Lots of different cultures, lots of different backgrounds, lots of different worldviews, different religions, different ways of understanding the world. And so as Paul went around, he had to figure out how he was going to communicate the gospel in a way that would be understandable to the different groups of people. So, so the question becomes, how did Paul reach this many different groups of people with the same message? That's what we're going to look at today. We're going to look at Paul's missionary strategy. But before we get into his strategy, we're going to back up to last week just a little bit because as we're going to see, there's a two-part strategy to what Paul did. Last week, we talked about the Jerusalem Council. There was a big fight in the early church about whether or not new believers who came from the the Gentiles had to be circumcised. And there was a lot of infighting, and so they were trying to discover, you know, we've been circumcised for 2,000 years, why would we get rid of that now? But as they got got together, and as they met as a church, James, who was the brother of Jesus, looking back at the Scriptures, realized that what God had promised, that the Gentiles would now be a part of the people of God, was coming to pass through his big brother Jesus and his resurrection from the dead. And so James, who was the leader of the church, made a decision. When it came to reaching new people, this was his decision. We looked at this last week. He said, It is my judgment, therefore, that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. And in that moment, he overturned over 2,000 years of precedent and tradition and the way they had done things, even with Bible verses to back it up. Because what he realized that now God's mission was about reaching those who were far from God, and it was important to eliminate any obstacle that might get in the way of someone turning toward God. Now, Paul was at this meeting. Paul was at the Jerusalem Council. He was a major player in it. So he, he was there. He heard this decision. And this became a part of his missionary strategy as he went around preaching the gospel to people throughout the Roman Empire. Don't make it difficult on those who are turning to God. In other words, don't add any unnecessary stumbling blocks to those who don't yet believe that would get in their way and keep them from believing. Now what I want to make sure that I highlight here is that that this decision added a stumbling block to the Jews who were already believers, right? This added a stumbling block to people who were already believers. They had to get over it. 
James's decision was for those who are on the outside, we want to make it easier for them, even if it makes it a little bit more difficult for us who are used to doing things a certain way. The, the reaching outsiders was more important than keeping the insiders comfortable. And this became a part of Paul's missionary strategy. Uh, but as I hinted at, this was only half of Paul's recipe for success. This was only half of Paul's recipe for success. Here is what Paul tells us was the rest of his recipe in his letter to the Corinthians. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 9. 1 Corinthians chapter 9. We're going to start uh, in verse 19, and Paul's going to tell us his recipe for success in reaching the outsiders. He says in verse 19, Though I am free and belong to no one, I have made myself a slave to everyone. In other words, Paul is saying, in Christ, I'm free. I don't belong to anybody else, but, he says, I have made myself a slave to everyone. And in this context, he's talking about outsiders. Those who are not yet a part of the church. Those who are not yet followers of Jesus. Paul tells us that he took on a posture of service towards others. He took on a posture of service towards others, putting their needs and desires and preferences before his own. And we're going to see that as he comes on. But this, this was Paul's missionary strategy. When it came to outsiders, when it came to those who were far from God, he took on a posture of service, putting their needs and their desires and their preferences for his own. And he's going to tell us why here. He does this, he says, to win as many as possible. The reason that Paul made himself a slave, took on a posture of service towards everyone, was so that he could win as many as possible. He was evangelistic to the core. He was committed to the mission with every aspect of his being. He took on a posture of service towards outsiders for the very purpose of winning them towards Christ. This was what made his heart beat. This is why he got up in the morning. This is why he traveled across the, the country. This is why he endured shipwrecks and beatings and stonings and, and hunger and all of these things because he was committed to win as many as possible. And so this is what he does. He tells us in verse 20. He says, To the Jews, I became like a Jew... To win the Jews. Now this is interesting. Because Paul was a Jew by birth. He grew up following all of the dietary laws. He grew up going to all of the, probably all of the festivals in Jerusalem. But when he became a follower of Jesus, he realized that he had been set free from the Old Testament law. He, he realized that he was no longer bound to those cultural markers of Jewishness. But, Paul says... When he went to, to be a missionary to people who were Jews, when he was among Jews, he became like a Jew in order to win the Jews. Winning the people there was his most important consideration. And so in order to do that, he became like them in what he did. Now, what does this mean? It means that even though he knew that he could have bacon for breakfast, when he went to a Jewish pitch-in, after synagogue on Saturday, he wouldn't bring ham. Right? He would become like the people that he was ministering to so that he could win them. He didn't want to put any unnecessary stumbling blocks in the way. He became like them while he was trying to win them. Now, when he went home, 
he could have some pepperoni pizza. Okay? But when he was with them, he didn't do anything. He became like them in order to win them. He goes on. He says, To those under the law, I became like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law, so as to win those under the law. To those not having the law, I became like one not having the law, though I am not free from God's law, but am under Christ's law, so as to win those not having the law. To the weak, I became weak to win the weak. Now, I don't want to get into all of the details on what all of these different categories were and how Paul would have specifically adapted himself to those particular categories because the categories that he dealt with back then are not necessarily the categories that we deal with today. But the principle that I want to highlight here is Paul adapted his approach to his audience. Paul adapted his approach to his audience. To reach different groups of people, he became like those groups of people. Here's what he says next. He says, I have become all things to all people so that, say this next phrase with me, by all possible means I might save some. By how many possible means? By all possible means. Now I want to unpack this just a little bit. Here's what Paul means by all possible means. Anything short of sin was on the table. This is what Paul means by all possible means. Anything short of sin was on the table, right? He didn't become an adulterer to reach the adulterers. He didn't become a murderer to reach the murderers. Anything short of sin was on the table. There's a lot of things that are short of sin. Right? And anything else that, that, that was necessary to reach a certain group of people, Paul would become like those people. Now, I want to I address a myth that I often hear church people say sometimes when we talk about adapting our approach to reach those who are not yet followers of Jesus. Here's what I sometimes hear people say. They say, we shouldn't become like the world to reach the world. But Paul says... I've become all things to all people so that by all possible means I might save some. Now, this is true in the sense of we don't, we, we, we don't do things that are sinful to reach the world. Right? We, so we, we're not going to have the, the first cannabis church of Bloomington and, and, and you know, have people come and smoke marijuana just because that's going to draw people in. Right? We're not gonna we're not gonna go rob a bank so that we can give everybody who comes in uh, you know money. Right? We're, we're, we're not gonna sin to reach people. But anything short of sin, Paul says, anything short of sin is on the table in terms of what we need to do to reach those who are far from God. This thinking we shouldn't become like the world to reach the world, that's old testament thinking. That's old covenant thinking. That's Jewish thinking, where they, they were separate, and if you wanted to become a, a, to enter in a relationship with God, you had to become like the Jews. You had to become circumcised, you had to follow their dietary laws. Paul is saying, no, in anything that's not sin, I become like them in order to reach them. So the truth is, we really should become like the world to reach the world in any category that's not sin. And here's why Paul says he does it. 
I do all this for the sake of the gospel, that I may share in its blessings. You see, Paul believed that there were blessings involved in winning others to Christ. Blessings that were worth the energy and the sacrifice. Paul probably didn't like every aspect of the culture that he adapted himself to to win them. There was a certain culture, there was a certain way of doing things that he was comfortable with, that he was used to, that he would have preferred. But he set those things aside in order to reach those who were far from God because he knew that that was the mission to which he had been called. And it was worth the sacrifice. And he knew that because he did that, he was going to share in the blessings in that. Not just in his present life, not just seeing that, but for all of eternity. So here's, here's sort of the bottom line here. Paul adapted his approach to his audience by all possible means in order to save some. By all possible means. In other words, whatever his culture was like, whatever the people that, that he was ministering to were like, he tried to become like them in every way possible in order that he might reach them with the gospel. This is Christian thinking. To adapt our approach and our audience to reach the people that God wants us to reach. Now this isn't in my notes. I'm going to give it to you for free. Okay? The Son of God. What did He do in order to reach humanity? He became what? Flesh. He became human. He entered into our state in order to reach us with the good news that God loves us. He set the pattern. Now, he didn't sin, right? He was fully human in every way that it, was, that it, that it means to be human without sinning. And he set the pattern. Paul picks up on that pattern, becoming like his various audiences, adapting his approach to become like them in order to win them. And because of this, Paul was able to plant all of these churches. And, and he, he was able to write these letters that we're still reading now 2,000 years later. And we are gathered here today in Bloomington or wherever you're watching from online because Paul, 2,000 years ago, was willing to adapt himself to various cultures to reach them. And most of us are, are, come from the, the very cultures and backgrounds of people that Paul reached. In other words, his sacrifice, his decision to become all things to all people, anything short of sin, to reach those who are far from God, we benefit from that today. And Paul believes that he's sharing in our blessings because he was willing to make that sacrifice. So I've got some questions that I want us to think about. What would it look like if our motto was by all possible means? What if we were willing to do anything short of sin to reach those who are far from God? That's a pretty broad category. Is music style sin? There is no music style that is inherently sinful. 
rap, rock and roll, punk, all of these things, none of these are inherently sinful, right? All of these things can be used and have been used, and there are great Christian songs in all of these varieties. Music is not inherently sinful. Is the kind of building that a church meets in inherently sinful? No. As a matter of fact, one of the... Okay. I'm going to pick on you guys a little bit. Okay, I'm, I'm, I'm going to get I'm going to get a little pointed and I'm going to get a little direct, uh, and and I'm going to do so because you know that I love you and you know that I want the best for you and you know that I want you to share in the blessings of Paul. Here's a phrase that I hear a lot when we talk about church. I hear it needs to feel like church, and we have this idea that there's a specific way that church is supposed to feel. And so I'm just I'm just going to I'm going to push just a little bit, okay? This is a first century house church. You can't see it well on the screen. It's a bunch of people sitting on the floor in a single room in somebody's house. Does, it, does church need to feel like this? If it needs to feel like church? This was, this, was, this was the earliest version of church. This is how the church originally started. So in that sense, what we're doing in this building doesn't feel like church. There are house churches today all around the world. In China, and even in America, and in the Middle East, people are meeting in houses, and it's church. It needs to feel like church. This is the Lickfield Cathedral. It's a medieval church. Massive. Does, it, does church need to be in a building like this in order to be church? This was, this was how church was done for hundreds of years in the Middle Ages. Does it have to feel like this? Here is a mud hut church in Africa. There's no carpet on the floor. Does it need to feel like this when we do church? Because this is church. Here's a modern contemporary church. Lots of lights, drums, electric guitars, no windows. This is church for thousands of people in America. So we say it needs to feel like church. Does it need to feel like this to be church? So why, why am I picking on you? I know, I know some of you feel like I'm, I'm singling you out, and, and that's not my intention. But, I, but, I'm, but I'm picking on you for a reason, because... I want you to share in the blessings of the mission of God. I want you to experience what it's like to be all in. To lay everything on the table so that, like Paul, we can share in the blessings. If you've never been a part of seeing somebody whose life is in crumbles... Come to faith in Jesus and start putting the pieces back together again. There, there is almost nothing more rewarding or significant than being a part of that. Are we willing to do whatever it takes? Back to our questions. What would it look like 
if, if the motto that we adopt was by all possible means? What would it look like if we were so focused on the effect that we were having in our community that we were willing to become like our community in every way that was not sin in order to reach people with the good news of Jesus Christ? What if we were willing to do anything short of sin to reach those who are far from God? There are people in our community, in your neighborhoods, even in some of your families, who don't have a relationship with God. What is that worth? What is it worth to see a child or a grandchild or a neighbor or a coworker come to experience the life-changing love of God that we all experience because we're here every week, because we already have that? Paul had to let go of an awful lot of old ways of doing things. But when he finally grasped the importance of the mission that he had been entrusted with, he said none of that other stuff matters. As a matter of fact, in his letter to the Philippians, he says he counts it all dumb. The word he uses in Greek is actually an expletive. He counts it all beep. That's, if you read it in Greek, that's, that's how it comes across. All of that previous stuff for the sake of knowing Christ and helping others do the same. What would it look like if we were willing to adopt a by all possible means motto? Are the lives of the people in our families and neighborhoods and communities worth it? When Jesus comes back and he calls us to account for how we stewarded the mission that he gave us, do you want to be able to say, by all possible means, Jesus, that I might save some? Or do we want to say, I liked my way of doing things. Now again, I'm not asking you to sin. right? If you think that anything I suggest is sinful, we'll sit down and we'll go to Scripture. But when we say things, it's got to feel like church. We have to realize that we're talking about our particular culture and our particular understanding and our particular preferences. When what Paul calls us to do is to lay our needs and our preferences aside for the sake of reaching those who are far from God. By all possible means, that I might save some. 
We do it for the sake of the gospel that we might share in its blessings. Friends, blessings await. Blessings that we just can't imagine await. But they await on the other side of a of a rather risky and uncomfortable step because that's how faith works. That's how God works. In order to experience the blessings, we often have to step out of our comfort zone and into faith. But blessings await if we're willing to take the risk and take the step. I'm going to pray and invite Mandy and Austin back up here. They're going to lead us in one final song. Lord, we thank you for using a man like Paul Lord, we realize that we're here today probably because of Paul. Because Paul was willing to leave everything behind. All his desires, all his preferences, all his own needs. And become like those he was trying to reach. Father, we are the beneficiaries of that today. We just, I pray that you would, you would give us that heart. That you would give us that mindset. That you would give us that burden, God, that you would burden us for those who are far from God, and that burden would outweigh any desire or any preference or any way of thinking and doing church that, that is going to get in the way, that is not going to help reach those who are far from God. Father, I pray that you would help us to align our priorities with yours. that you would make us passionate about the things that you're passionate about, that you would break our heart for the things that break yours. Father, I pray that we would get to share in those blessings. I pray that we would get to be used by you in this community to reach those. And Father, if it's not us, then I pray that you will raise someone else in this community, that you will use other churches and other leaders in this community to reach those who are far from God. Father, I pray that your kingdom comes, that your will is done on earth as it is in heaven. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.